Paul Steinhauser reports nationally, nationally for Fox News. Good morning, by the way. Good morning, New Hampshire, the Pulse of an H. He's live in South Carolina, probably the next big battleground state, if you will, in this race between now two people on the Republican side, Donald Trump and former governor of South Carolina, Nikki Haley. Good morning, Paul. Hey, good morning, Jack, from Columbia, the state capital. Uh, you had, uh, I was with uh, Nikki Haley yesterday. She was campaigning here in Columbia, also went down to Hilton Head, South Carolina, I know a lot of us in New Hampshire are familiar with Hilton Head. Uh, listen, Jack, she's down. The latest poll that came out here has her down by 26 points in her home state to Donald Trump. South Carolina Republicans like her. They, they're, you know, she's popular with them, obviously. But listen, they'd like a lot. They like Donald Trump a lot more, it seems. But she's confident she can close the gap, as she told me. Her mission here, she says, is not to win, but to do better than she did in Iowa and New Hampshire. She won 43% of the vote in New Hampshire. I guess that means, Jack, she needs to do at least 44% here on the 24th of February. That's when that primary is. But, Jack, before that, tomorrow is primary day here in South Carolina. On the Democrat side, President Biden was here campaigning last weekend. And uh, today you're going to have Vice President Kamala Harris campaigning here. Dean Phillips missing in action because it's pretty clear. Joe Biden is going to win the primary down here big time. There's no drama like we had in New Hampshire this, you know, this one yeah. is crystal clear tomorrow on, on the Democratic side. It feels like no matter what, no matter what forces are to bear, and I'm on a, I don't think the no labels folks or a mansion are going to get any candidacy together. So it just feels like it's Biden, Trump. Here we go again. Paul, tough life, huh? Columbia, Hilton Head. Yeah. You're going to grab dinner tonight in Charleston? Yeah, I wish I could get down there, but I think I'll be staying in Columbia. But I'll be back in Charleston in about two weeks for the Republican primary. Come on down with me, Jack. Bring the show on the road. Come on. All right, Steiny. Thank you. Dr. Vic Romantramani, Dr. Vic, and uh, host of Navigating Uncertainty here. And, of course, his latest book, The Generalist. Great cover shot, by the way, talking about 353,000 jobs added. Vic, take it away. Good morning, Jack. How are you? Yeah, I think I heard uh, the same day that you did. 353,000 jobs added in January much, much higher than expected. And in a weird way, Jack, this is being seen as good news and bad news for the uh, for the markets, because now it looks like the Fed will likely not lower rates in March, or at least that's the new thinking. Uh, but look, we got low unemployment. We know this. What, did, uh, what, what, you said, come back. You don't think they'll do it this spring? What about June? Is that what the Bank of America economist Stephen Juno said? <laughs> Yeah, you know, Jack, that's the expectation. Look, this is a uh, a game of uh, adjusting as the data comes out. Yeah. Right now, incremental data, this jobs report, suggests that March may not be as likely as it was before for the Fed to start lowering rates. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. If they wait to lower rates further, they're going to be accused of doing this for political reasons, yeah. right? Because lowering rates is going to improve the economy. Right. Going into an election that's going to be seen as a political endeavor. Uh, so I think it's really interesting what's happening. Now, the other thing that's happening is you saw Amazon report blockbuster numbers. You saw um, even this week a lot of the tech companies, Facebook, unbelievable profits. Um, so we have a couple of things going on here, which is strong corporate earnings and a really strong job market. That's a tough environment to lower rates in, um, but... You know, we're going to see what the Fed's going to do. You know, you touch upon the political side as well, Dr. Vic, and you and I talk a lot about it on the show. I, I'm, what I'm sensing, and we had Stephen Juneau, one of the leading economists on Bank of, from Bank of America, one of our sponsors and partners yesterday, talking about 2024, echoing kind of what you're talking about, increasing slow but 
steady increasing consumer confidence, even if we see some pullback on the commercial real estate. Not a bad-looking year. No big crash coming. So maybe people are starting to ease into a little more confidence. If the economy is not a big issue going into the presidential election in 2024, my prediction, and you're seeing it happening in Congress, the number one issue may end up being immigration, illegal immigration, and the border. I just feel that that's going to be the tug-of-war. Because um, it's poll- yep. it's polling high, even among Democrats who are dissatisfied with President Biden because of this. Certainly members of the Congress are not happy with it, and obviously Trump and Republicans. So it, that might be the big issue, actually, if the economy is not as much on the table. Yeah, I think you're right, Jack. That's definitely an issue. The interesting thing is what could happen between now and Election Day. You just mentioned, you know, we might see a war in the Middle East really flare up. That might, create, that might create new forms of inflationary pressure. What happens if oil is $150 a barrel come November? Is that going to change how people think about the economy, about their pocketbooks? What if inflation's raging again? What if the Fed's tightening rather than right. lowering rates? I mean, there's a long time between now and election day. No, I day, agree. But I, I agree. Do. Yeah. I so agree. I, so, so I, but I, but I, look, the economy is never, it's going to sound weird to use a double negative, but it's never not important. It may not be the most important issue, but pocketbook well, issues that affect individuals every day right. will always be a political issue. Let me go, let me amplify or bolster your point. Aren't you surprised I'm doing that? I'm actually supporting you. I'm backing you. <laughs> um, here, here's right, a little. About, we'll, we'll start talking about climate change. Get you all worked up. No, no. Here's a. Here's a. Uh, I'm, I'm just helping you on your wing as wingman. Your point about the economy, <laughs> even if the general. Inflation is easing, even if consumer confidence is, you know, gradually coming back. And if the Fed, Fed does in, like, say, June, look at a start bringing this thing down 0.25 uh, percent, uh, quarter point, you know what can happen that drives consumers right back into the economic worry category. We have a lot of volatility in the Middle East and still in Ukraine. We have a lot of volatility. And it doesn't take much to happen all of a sudden with oil and gas production. All of a sudden, gas prices have been coming down. People like that. They're right about, you know, just under three bucks a gallon for regular. But if they start climbing yep. up again in eight months, six months for a reason un- uncontrolled by us, say Middle East, watch all of a sudden the economy and pocketbook issues right back. That's right. And remember this, Jack. It doesn't take – there's a lot of different reasons the Fed might lower rates. The one way they could lower rates is if the economy starts slowing. Right. That's a They have a dual mandate. Keep prices stable. And if prices are stabilizing, that means they may not need to do anything and they need to keep the country fully employed. That's what the Fed is supposed to do. Now, if the economy weakens, that's a reason for them to lower rates. But that's a bad reason. That means the economy is weakening. That means people are losing jobs, etc. That's why inflation would be coming down. So there's different reasons why they may lower rates. A slowing economy is not a good reason. For, for the ordinary people. So, and I yeah. do agree with you. Look, uh, if eggs if eggs are $10 a dozen and they stay $10 a dozen for more than a year, then the inflation on eggs is zero. It doesn't make people feel good yeah, yeah. that eggs are $10 a dozen, yeah. right? I mean, that's... Yeah. The reality you got to think about this as a rate of change. Rea- yeah. The reality is money out, money in. All right, Dr. Vic, make it a great Friday. Okay, thanks, Jack. You too. Kevin Landrigan, New Hampshire Union Leader, Senior Political Reporter, joining us with a Friday fix. Good morning, Mr. Kevin. How are you, Jack? Um, I'm all right, thanks. How you doing? Great. Well, interesting. some interesting bills at the State House, but it seems like most of the noise is national. 
Yeah, um, actually, what's what's interesting to me at the state house right now is we're what a little out, over a week out from the presidential primary, and already the issues at the state house are being framed with the general election in mind in November. And they're na- guess what? They're national issues, right? So the Senate Republicans are talking about immigration. They've got the anti-sanctuary city bill that they're pushing very hard and determined yeah. to try and. Um, get through the Senate and and try to get more traction in the House. The House rejected the idea last year by, by about 30 votes, but, of course, immigration is a much more serious issue now than it was then. So there's hope, particularly with Senate President Jeb Bradley, that uh, we might be able to get this uh, this bill to the desk of Governor Chris Sununu. Democrats are strongly opposed to it and cite the the new statistics coming out of the northern border that suggested there were only a small number of arrests and encounters up there right at the New Hampshire-Canadian border. Meanwhile, Democrats are messaging abortion, right? I mean, yeah. talking about the constitutional amendment, they failed to get on the ballot, which would have asked voters if they support putting in the Constitution the, the ban on abortion after 24 weeks. Uh, needed a 60% vote, it only got a 50% vote, but... Again, Democrats feel that's a wedge issue on their side, that they're going to be pushing this November. And what's interesting is, as you know, uh, but maybe some listeners don't, um, it's an unusual year. It's an unusual election anyway, because one, it's a presidential election. Two, there's no U.S. Senate race. Yeah. And, and so, and three... You've got the re-election of a president. Well, when's the last time that happened? That was 2012, right, with Barack Obama, who won re-election, beating Mitt Romney, and won New Hampshire solidly by about six or seven points, as I recall. But the the point I'm making is this. That was a great year for Democrats. John Lynch was governor. The Democrats took both congressional seats, Annie Custer, Carol Shea Porter, both beating incumbent Republicans in that election, and the New Hampshire House flipped from Republican to Democrat. So when, when the all-Democratic congressional delegation met with the president earlier this week, that was a message to Joe Biden, which is uh, let's get over this feud about the primary because this is a year where we could make some gains if the White House made New Hampshire a priority. And if you don't, um, you not only could lose – New Hampshire, four electoral votes, Trump could actually win. He's lost twice before, but he could actually win. And if he wins, then down ballot could be a disaster. Mm-hmm. You know, they could even lose more seats in the Republican House. They could lose state Senate seats. They could, yeah. Cindy Warmington's running for governor. I mean, even that race could get competitive, which is a Democratic council seat. So this is, um, this was the message earlier this week, and it's, As I say, it's an important one because, as you know, Joe Biden is mired in the polls. He's completely underwater, even in New Hampshire, by about 15 points. So this president has to start trying to mend fences and try to build momentum back in New Hampshire, or this could be an ugly year for Democrats in November. It's interesting. Lucas Meyer on the Democrat side said this precisely yesterday. A lot of these issues at the Statehouse right after the primary are sort of shaping the stage for the general, you know, the statewide, the governor's race, the congressional, yep. sort of the national stuff is sort of playing here. And you can see it, you know, um, some of the national debate is definitely, um, you know, it's being framed locally. Um, I guess, you know, the other thing, too, is um, 
it's hard for us, well, harder than, it's easier for us in New Hampshire than some other states. I was talking to one of our economic experts. You know, we have one of the lowest unemployment rates per capita in the country. Um, our state budget's in pretty good shape. Um, the feeling is New Hampshire's in a little bit of a good bubble, probably in better shape economically speaking than Maine uh, or even Vermont um, in terms of the economy. And so it's hard for us to feel any downturn that could have an impact on this general election. So it really feels to me it's going to be these national issues. And one of them, I think, is going to rise as a top issue, and you mentioned the northern border bill, is immigration and the border. I think that's going to be a very hot-button issue because it you know polls badly for Biden among Democrats. It's obviously an issue Trump wants for himself. So you have this childishness going on, but it's an issue that people are starting to really care about. Yeah, certainly are. I mean, the... The other part of that issue nationally, of course, is all the focus is on Trump and pressuring Republicans. This Democratic pressures on Capitol Hill. This, yeah. this, this members of Congress on to the left that don't want to support a bipartisan immigration reform bill. Bernie Sanders is no fan of that bill. Neither is AOC. So this this notion that it's all about. Uh, right. Republicans caving or Republicans being pressured, both sides are being pressured, and it's making it more and more difficult for anything to come out of Capitol Hill. I mean, it's been weeks since we've been talking about this supposed grand deal on immigration reform, right? Yeah. We still haven't seen a bill. Yep. Nobody has produced language. Yep. Why? Because yep. there really isn't an agreement yet that that comes close to getting 60 votes in the no, Senate. No, it's being played out politically as an issue, obviously. <laughs> exactly, both and sides. both sides are yeah. just playing it to the hill. And that's that was the point Chris Sununu was making earlier this week with us when we asked him about it. Of course, as you know, he's going to the border on Saturday to support Governor Greg Abbott and with other Republican governors. And he was saying, one, as you alluded to earlier, there's so much this president could do on his own that he's chosen not to do, and that's why the problem is so bad. But two... He believes Congress needs to do something and, and needs to show in a bipartisan way that they can actually tackle this issue. Because yeah. if they don't do that, this thing is going to the next the next administration is going to have perhaps an even bigger problem than they have right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, the other irony, Kevin, despite polls saying that, you know, a lot of people in the middle don't want it to be Biden and Trump again. It seems precisely that's where we're headed. It does. It does. And you look in New Hampshire, and at the end of the day, both these guys right now can't get above 45% in New Hampshire. Yeah. You know, So they're going to be fighting over that 10% all yeah. the way to November if it's Biden and Trump. Yeah. Because, as you know, people's opinions of both of them are so baked in, you can't change it. Nope. You know nope. what I'm saying? Yep. You can't. In other words, you can't get people who are negative towards Trump to to eventually vote for him this or, November, no matter what happens. And the same people, is true of or, Biden. Or people that are supportive of Trump for voting it, for anyone else. Yep. Right, yep. exactly. All right, so, Kev. All right. Appreciate it. You have a great uh, great weekend, okay? It's a little milder. Enjoy it. Maybe some sunshine will pop out. Who knows? Don't be shocked if you see this big yellow ball in the sky. <laughs> Sounds good, Jack. Take care. Carl, uh, who has his company, La Chance Water Filtration, La chancewaterfiltration.com right up the road. Carl's in our studios talking about water. Try living without it, right, Carl? I mean, we need it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, water's. I heard you talking recently and uh, volunteered to come on because I wanted to uh, clarify, clarify some things about drinking water. Yeah. And, uh, you know, water is a universal solvent, so everything dissolves into it. So, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, Carl, I just know this being a homeowner for many years here. 
um, that, you know, I know it's classic in New Hampshire, New England. We have a lot of granite, so when people buy a new home, they want to do a radon mitigation check, right? You have hard water. Sometimes you have other minerals in there. Uh, but there's other stuff that finds its way if you're not if you don't have a well or even if you do have a well or city water because you know New Hampshire's growing Carl you know that every place is growing stuff t- tell me if I'm wrong stuff can find its way into water like in a city town like if you did a complete forensic state police lab test of water like a glass of water from your your sink without any filtration just you take it off the sink the height the tap you think it's fine. I bet you there's stuff in there, and it could be bacteria, could be some, uh, you know, traces of, of drugs, a pharmaceutical, could be plastics. Am I right or wrong? Uh, you are correct. It's the uh, it all. It's all about where the water is coming from. If you're on a municipality, they do have regulations that they uh, have to adhere to to make sure that the water is potable. But if you're on a private well. Um, that is up to the homeowner in New Hampshire that there is no real regulation for a homeowner. Uh, so it's very important to test your water to find out what's in it. Um, and a lot of people are on septic systems, and it bothers me with all the pharmaceuticals that people are taking nowadays, all the you know, gender blockers or whatever is going on out there that when somebody goes to the bathroom, it goes into their septic system, and then it goes back into the ground, which could work its way right back into your home. So it's important to test the water. Um, even with testing, testing is a snapshot in time. So you test today, and your, your water may be fine today, but then spring thaw, and now, now it changes. So we recommend a drinking water system, a reverse osmosis that will take everything out of the water. It's the best available technology there is today for drinking water. Um, tell us about how that works, Carl. Uh, basically, there's a particulate filter that removes particles, and then it goes into a, a membrane, and the membrane is got pressure from your system that forces the good water through a membrane, and the bad water gets discharged down the drain. Now, what about, okay, this is one, and I'm holding up, Carl, the plastic purified water bottle, you know, and people, and this is the thing I thought about after Aaron gave that report, Carl, if you think about it. When people are driving, they might have a plastic water bottle in their car. You run into a, you get gas or fill up. You run into a convenience store. You might grab a, a juice or a Gatorade in plastic. You might drink a, a, a soda drink in plastic or a water bottle in plastic, right? So plastic's just about everywhere, correct? Correct. Now, I'm aware of these plastic particles that can find their way into our bodies. We've had PFA, we've had sites in New Hampshire, we've had all this stuff. But tell me... And then I Googled after Aaron's report, because I do drink a lot of water during my show, and the easiest thing is our fridge and downstairs in the stations are filled with water bottles that we, you know, bought, you know, they're bought. And I drink a lot of water in the morning. So on the one hand, I could get a little bit paranoid and think, oh, my goodness, this is, this is going to be bad for my organs. I don't want to drink plastic. But at the same time, though, it's in everything. So how bad is, like, a you know, typically a safe, clean bottle of water curl I read on the like the National Cancer Institute. They said, for the most part, it, you are safe. The the amount of particles your body can handle. In other words, you're safe to drink out of like a a Poland Springs plastic water bottle. Is that correct? 
Yeah, well, there's microplastics. Microplastics right. are everywhere. So you'd want to, we recommend actually having a BPA-free bottle. We actually sell them with our systems, or they come with our systems, and that's what you would put your water into because BPA-free is guaranteed not to leach anything into your water. And uh, with bottled waters, you put it on your dash, and now it's heated by ultraviolet light, and now it starts breaking down. And oh, yeah, that's right. They, it gets they, warm. Yep. They design the bottles to break down because they are bad for the environment. So they actually are designing uh, the bottles to break down. So so in the summer, you want to watch that. If you leave your car, it gets to be like 100 degrees. Correct. And how long have they sat in the warehouse before they delivered to the uh, Now uh, you got shop, me all, Now I don't so. know what to do. Yeah, so we really, you really should consider having a reverse osmosis, which is going to remove, it's the best available technology there is for removing minerals from the water. Um, for example, a bottled water, I won't throw out any names, but some bottled waters have TDS, that's the acronym for Total Dissolved Solids. There's some bottled water that has over 200 parts of Total Dissolved Solids. A reverse osmosis is going to reduce those total dissolved solids down to around five or less. So it cuts it down. So it really is the best available technology there is. And we would recommend that for everybody in the drinking water, even on city water systems where yeah. they put chlorine in the water, should at least have a carbon to take that out because chlorine has byproducts yeah. that are yeah. not, not. And it's not um, going to get rid yeah. of everything. LachanceWaterFiltration.com, LachanceWaterFiltration.com. What's involved, Carl, before you go, of getting a reverse osmosis system? What is, what's involved? Uh, just give us a call. Um, and how, how oh, okay. uh, half-day appointment, one day, I mean, how, how, how big of a deal, on, what's the rough cost? Um, the rough cost on a reverse osmosis is somewhere around $1,500 installed, and we offer a free consultation. We'd come out to your house, see what we would need to do to install it, and then we'd give you a price after we see what we'd have to do. Sometimes we have to drill a granite countertop, or we could put it in the basement, or that sort of thing. And, and uh, you just basic service on it? Once or twice a year, the reverse osmosis filters and stuff, I imagine. Yes, and it's actually less expensive than bottled water because you're changing cartridges on our, t our row like once a year, yeah. and there are a couple hundred bucks to change the cartridges, but if you do the math on how much money you're spending on bottled water, it easily is going to pay for itself. Yeah, because these things can be a couple bucks a bottle these days with inflation. So uh, well or city or town, doesn't matter your source of water, you can put a system in. If you That's have well, Because a lot of people have a well. Yep. Or city or town. doesn't matter if you have, like, municipal or your own. Nope, doesn't matter. The only thing, that if you're on a well, we'd want to test the water to make sure that there's not a lot of iron in it um, or something we may, may need on a well system pre-filtration. Okay. Well, Carl, I appreciate it. Thank you. Best way to learn more, lachancewaterfiltration.com. Yes. And I heard your phone going off a little bit. Just ask for Carl or the team. Uh, yes, just ask for Carl or Tony. Um, or you'll be guided in the right direction. Just give us a call. Harbor Care in Nashua. Veterans count out of Manchester. Easter Seals swim with the mission is fill these gaps. And uh, David Tilly, one of the great folks down with Harbor Care, we've done a lot with them in the past. Uh, they've had great like summer veteran fest types events where they pull together several veteran support groups. As a great guest, and David, let's uh, let's uh, let's use the time constructively to help veterans. You have a great update for us, David. I'm going to let you run with us. Good to see you again, Harbor Care, of course. Throughout our region, you've got a big footprint in Nashville, but you go beyond. You do so much in transitional housing, um, food support, professional support. You do a ton for veterans. So thank you, David. And uh, you've got a great guest who's on with us. I, I, I remember what we did the remote at your uh, 
uh, at the DoubleTree Hotel, and I so I'm going to let you run with this. Yeah, and the and the on our stand down event, and we stand can't down, thank yeah. you enough for for that. Um, you know, today, Jack, especially in in this uh, win, winter weather, and Happy Groundhog Day, by the way. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's especially tough for those experiencing um, homelessness, and and our veterans ex- experiencing homelessness, and we're we're here today actually with a great friend of our veterans, Kurt Stranson, who's with the Pinnacle Foundation. Uh, they've they've done a lot of wonderful events for our veterans, not only at Harbor Care Veterans First, but other organizations like you, you had mentioned, also Liberty House. And they've got a big event that's coming up uh, next Thursday to help our, our veterans uh, most in need and, and wanted to bring Kurt in to talk a little bit about that and the great work that they're doing. And I like how he uh, sort of quarterback getting the Pinnacle Foundation going. And that's sort of the thing that Tom and the private sector can do. Uh, Kurt, take it away. Tell us about it. We want to get the word out. Yeah, thanks, Jack, and thanks, uh, Dave, for introducing. Um, we started the Pinnacle Foundation in August of 2021. Our mission is to support homelessness, veterans, and financial education and literacy. Uh, since inception, we've donated over $100,000 to local community in those arenas. We have our next big event at the Rex Theater in Manchester, 530, February 8th. It's open to the public. Coming we have up. Great, great food from Toscana, Italia, and um, Big Kahunas. And uh, we have a great silent auction that's going to be posted actually online tonight so people can bid on auction items even if they can't attend. All those proceeds will benefit veterans and homelessness. And uh, we have the new mayor, Jay Rue, will be speaking. Yeah. We have live music from the Chad LaMarche Band. And of course, big he hit. served as well. Yep. Big hit in the, the last two decades in the Manchester area. So we have him performing. He did a great job for us last year. And we're happy to host these events. We're happy to partner with Harbor Care and Vets First. We're happy to support our local veterans and um, Vets First and their transitional housing. We've done a lot and provided bedding, toiletries, pillows the last few winters. Um, I think over 156 veterans the last round and about 76 veterans the year before and that's from these events that we host uh, three times a year and it's from a harbor care end it's just been tremendous that mm-hmm. a veteran that you know literally comes with with very very little not much more than the clothes on their backs and the pinnacle foundations help with having fresh bedding comforters um, towels all, all the basics when um, when moving in and it really really makes a, a difference for our, our veterans. And currently there's uh, um, just a, a shy of 120 veterans experiencing homelessness right now. We've got about 60. And, and that's what you that's what you know of. Yeah, that, that's That's correct. what you know of. You know, the individuals that's, that might be out there that you're, they're not on the radar, you know. And that, uh, That's right. That's yeah. right. I know all, all were out in the field um, this past month with a point-in-time count that's an annual uh, count that's uh, – that's required, but you're, yeah, you're totally correct on that, Jack. Yeah. Hey, Kurt, just talk a little bit. I love how you got this going a few years ago. Just talk about what drove you to want to do this as a business leader and a you know owner. I know you're on the uh, uh, mortgage side of things, but what made you want to do this? Um, we love New Hampshire, and we see what's going on in our community, and we see when there's other people in need. I think the community has to come together, not just as a community, but as a business community as well, and allocate funds and resources to provide to those great organizations like Dave's organization yeah. to help provide those necessities and to pr- help provide for those in need, and especially our veterans who served and dedicated their lives. And, you know, we, we need to support them. And yeah. I think uh, bringing the business community together, bringing our clients together, bringing to the public in to these events to raise funds to directly impact those areas that can have the greatest impact. 
and I, and I agree with you, but I'd like to go a little further to the same question because maybe you'll influence someone else out there, business owner, someone in the community around our region, could be Southern Maine, sort of thinking the same thing but not really pulling the trigger. So you did it. It took some work to get the foundation going, and you've been able to now donate more than 100 grants. So what was that seed that made you want to help to actually starting a foundation and actually doing it? It's like starting a new business. What made you really be that driven? Well, we, what, we, what we live and operate here. What fired here. you up? We, I have six children. We live in New Hampshire. We live in Manchester. And we go to all these different events, and mm-hmm. things are going all over the place, and it's not really organized. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, well, how do we get the other business partners? We have 14 board members. We have a great board. Only three within Pinnacle Mortgage. The other 11 are from the general business community. Yep. And we said, how can we get together and make the biggest impact rather than all working alone? Right. And, you know, from a community aspect, this is a community that supports our businesses. Yep. So how do we turn around and support the community and those that are in the most need? And veterans are, are a big piece of that because a lot of homelessness, a large percentage of them, unfortunately, are veterans. And yep. it's, it's one of those questions you ask, how is that even possible? I know. That we don't take care of those who served, dedicated their lives, sacrificed the most, and some sacrifices the ultimate. How do we not take care of those folks? So, you know, we host events from a business circle, and we're like, let's host events. Let's raise funds. Let's directly donate money to things that directly 100% will impact the most. Well, kudos to you. If people want to learn more about the foundation, what's the best way, Kurt? Uh PinnacleFoundationNH.org is our website. PinnacleFoundationNH.org. And for tickets for next uh, Thursday, February 8th's event at the Rex Theater, you can go around to the Rex Theater's website and buy a ticket to attend. Like I said, it'd be a great auction, lots of things for all walks of life. There'll be stuff for everybody, and we're going to raise as much money as we can and do the best we can to support those people in need, especially through these winter months. Coming up next Thursday. And Dave, before I let you go at Harbor Care, how can we, how can people, how can listeners, business owners help you? What are you looking for? Are you looking for volunteers? Are you looking for apartments? What are you looking for? The yeah. best way to follow up with you. Th- thanks so much, Jack. We are always looking for for apartments. Um, for we've got uh, folks that help our veterans with housing mm-hmm. navigating. We have uh, resources to help the veterans, and but we need uh, help with the units. Also, if you uh, want to contribute or volunteer, you just come on to HarborCareNH.org. Awesome, HarborCareNH.org. PinnacleFoundationNH.org. Good stuff. Thank you, Kurt. Thank you, Dave, for coming in and making the Friday a little brighter. I'm still looking for the sun out there, but some sun just <laughs> shined on that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Rory, please tell me that PETA is not really concerned about Phil and having to come out of his hole and perform. They are. And maybe, look, they may have good reason. It was 10 years ago today when the mayor of New York City, Mayor de Blasio, picked up Staten Island Chuck the woodchuck from Staten Island, their version of Puxatawney Phil. But Mayor de Blasio dropped Chuck, and Chuck died as a result. So, uh, yeah, PETA is saying, why are we incorporating animals and all this stuff? They're wrong most of the time, by the way. Just flip a coin. Oh. <laughs> Thanksgiving turkeys are next, I'm just telling you, Rory. Well, I'm, oh, I'm sure they are, top of the list. But early spring, huh? Well, that's what Chuck says, but uh, or Phil says, keep in mind, uh, Puxatawney Phil is only right about 40% of the time. So if he's predicting an early spring and is only right 40% of the time. Well, you know, but again, it's just fun stuff. It's like, you know, okay, look, at, I don't look at the holiday parades each year, but they happen. 
this one, you know, it's just always part of, oh, you heard about the groundhog. We're going to have an early. Of course, it's like the Farmers and Almanac. If you read it last summer, it's going to say, it said we're going to have a snow and cold, uh, cold and snowy winter. Yeah. Oh, by the way, do you know why they do this today, February 2nd? No, but you're going to tell us. I am. It's the midway point between the winter solstice and the vernal equinox. There you go. There you go. You doing all right today? I can have fun with these things at the same time. No, doing, yeah, lots of news down here in Florida. Terrible plane crash. And we yeah. had a trooper yeah. who was lost in the line of duty a few hours oh, ago. Geez, I'm sorry to hear Difficult that. Difficult day down in Florida. Sorry. Hey, quick question, just on the political sure. front, because we just came out of this. Yep. Ron DeSantis ending his campaign before New Hampshire's primary, settling back into being governor of Florida. What's the local media coverage now that DeSantis is off the campaign trail? Oh, well, now there's talk. He's now he's still running a shadow presidential campaign. He's sending more of uh, Florida Guard troops to help the border in Texas. Uh, he was doing that announcement this week. Did something else on a sort of a national scale. Uh, so it seems like he's still addressing these national issues, even though we're in that limited time when the Florida legislature is in session. So there's... Uh, it seems like he can't get the national topics out of his system just yet. All right, Roy. Thank you, Roy O'Neill. Thanks, Jack. Friday. Have a good weekend. Senate President uh, Jeb Bradley joining a little bit early this morning. Senate President, I'm sorry to keep you on hold. Thank you for the calendars. Great photography. Good morning. How are you, Jack? Good morning. It's worried about those groundhogs being mishandled. <laughs> I I didn't hear the news. Six more weeks of winter, or are we good? Well, they didn't see the shadow, but Pete is feeling that the groundhog shouldn't be pulled out of their hole. <laughs> what do you well, have for you us? Go. What do you have for us today? It, you know, it's interesting. Kevin Lander going on earlier. Lucas Meyer yesterday. Some of the state issues that you're grappling with on legislation in the state house seem to be shaping up sort of the general election. A lot of national issues. That that feel that that feel that way to you? Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, I think immigration is you know, front and center in um, people's minds. And I've been pretty outspoken about <clears throat> the need to disincentivize illegal immigration into New Hampshire by making sure we have border patrols on the northern border, by not having sanctuary policies, uh, by not, you know, allowing people to have that are here in this country illegally driver's license. Um, you see the Jack, you see the states all around us with sanctuary policies. And look, in Logan Airport, there people are sleeping in the airport because there's no place else for them. Um, you know, this all is stemming from decisions the Biden administration made, you know, when President Biden first became president and stopped the Remain in Mexico policy, didn't uh, detain people that you know, were seeking asylum, was not deporting people, um, would not build, you know, the wall. And you see, you know, what's happened. And the evidence that we have is that there are over 700 people, more than half of them, that have been apprehended, um, that are on the terror watch list. More than half of them cross the northern border, so we have a problem at the northern border. Um, fentanyl is, you know, coming across um, by, you know, smugglers, coyotes, and fentanyl's in every town in America, and it's killing people. We had 500 deaths from drug overdoses in 2023, and 80% of them were fentanyl. So I think, you know, it's a public safety issue. It's a cost issue. Um, it's 
you know, something that the public is saying enough already, and and to try to what's you know get bipartisan support, whether it's right. in Washington or Concord, to tighten things up has just been impossible. My understanding is, was the uh, border patrol in the northern tier had come up with a stat over the last year or two just how increased the illegal attempts or crossings were, but yet Democrat criticism of this bill to spend money, I think a million bucks on the northern border of New Hampshire, is that there's not that many. There's no real problem there. What's the truth? Well, so here's the thing. The Biden administration, when Governor Sununu asked for more money, refused. They've moved Border Patrol agents from the northern border to the southern border to help not interdict and deport, but to process people coming across. So how do we know what's going on? How do we know what the gotaways are? And with half of the people apprehended on the terror watch list coming across the northern border, and and I grant you that extends from, you know, Maine to the state of Washington, it's thousands of miles, but, you know, we need to do what we can do as a state, just as Texas is trying to do it, and the Biden administration is trying to cut the wire there. Um, We need to do what we can do to stop This, you know, influx of people, and I'm all for legal immigration. Don't get me wrong, okay? Legal immigration coming the right way, whether it's asylum or job seeking, there are opportunities. There's no question about that. And legal immigration yeah. is good, but you know, when you're seeing over three million people um, per year crossing the border illegally, we don't know. No. You know, and and how about yeah? What I mean, just, we have no. It, this is um, the evidence is here. Both sides of the aisle. Democrats don't like it. Republicans don't like the fact that nothing's been done. And you know the irony in Washington on the so-called bipartisan southern border bill with some funding attached for Ukraine and Israel. Um, the early read is they're blaming former President Trump for telling Republicans not to vote for it because Trump wants this to be an issue of his. Don't give Biden credit before the election. What they're not saying is. The Biden administration has had three-plus years and has done nothing to fortify the southern border. And every time Texas has tried, they've sued the state of Texas. So they really, the, the truth is, it appears to me that President Biden likes illegal migrants coming across, doesn't dislike it because they haven't done anything to stop it. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing that they're not saying, and this is why they're probably not releasing the details of the so-called bill, the text, unless it's changed in the last few hours has not been revealed, but the rumor is that somewhere between 5,000 and 8,500 people under this so-called compromise will be able to cross the border each and every day before the, you know, we would start deporting or interdicting or something like that. So 8,500 people per day is $3.1 million. That's not a compromise. But you know this. That is not a compromise. But, but, Senator, you know this. president doesn't need a congressional piece of legislation to get tougher on the border. Exactly. He doesn't need anything. No, he doesn't. So All it's a bunch, of, it's a bunch of hypocritical. Yeah. Yeah. It's, reinstate, remain in Mexico. Yeah. Detain people that come across seeking asylum, yeah. which is what happened previously. Deport Build illegal those. migrants who commit crime. I mean, it's just. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Listen, we agree. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. All right, Jack. Take care. Ashley Davis with AARP is back with us. And it's that time of year or that time of season. But she's going to tell us everything about community grants. Ashley, thanks for being back with us from the AARP New Hampshire side of things. How are you? 
I'm great. Thank you for having me. Tell us what they are, how people can look into this, and uh, what you're looking for. Wonderful. So the Community Challenge Grant Program supports the efforts of neighborhoods, cities, and towns across the country to become great places to live for people of all ages. For the past seven years through these grants, AARP has been funding tangible projects in communities across the country. We give grants that range from several hundred dollars for small short-term activities up to several thousands or tens of thousands of dollars for really large projects. They're quick action projects to help make a difference in community. And you, you always have some great community examples, some examples of this in New Hampshire. Can you share some of those, Ashley? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just over the past year, we, um, in, in the past year's awards, we awarded seven different grants throughout the state. Some examples include... Um, a community center in Hillsborough where a covered bench was installed downtown. We helped uh, the Friends of the Northern Rail Trail in Lebanon uh, by sponsoring a Cycling Without Ages, which was a, an electric rickshaw that was actually purchased to provide rides to older adults. Um, and then even helping with towns become ADA compliant. Um, Wilton, for example, added walkways along a protected river that connects restaurants and a veterans park to downtown. So anything that um, really creates vibrant public places, increases connectivity, um, improves safety or civic engagement, any idea along these lines is welcome. So if someone's trying to improve their community, trying to create a, whether it's a safe dog park, fix up a playground do something in the community and they have a group going, they, they would have, they would be appropriate. They would qualify. They could apply. Absolutely. Um, the grant program is open to any nonprofit or municipality. And it doesn't have to be like a, you know, a formed official business or a nonprofit. It could just be a neighborhood that's doing something to beautify a section of a community or city, correct? Or not? Yes. Yep. As long as they have municipal support. And how do you define that? I'm just curious. Like, in other words, if the city or town's in favor of what they're doing? Correct. Yep. It would have, the city or town would have to be part of the application project. So um, if you're trying to beautify your town and you went to your town, you could work together and apply for this. Um, or any nonprofit is eligible as well. And when should they submit and where do they do the applications? I mean, what's the time period here before they would know? And are the grants vary in amount? How does this work, Ashley? Yep, the grants vary in amount. We've given grants for a couple hundred dollars, and we've given grants that are tens of thousands of dollars. It all depends on the project. Um, <clears throat> the due date for grant applications this year is March 6th, and um, people can go to aarp.org slash community challenge for the application, and um, they can get any other questions answered, too. So just over a month, aarp.org slash community challenge. Ashley, great stuff. And um, about how many do you do? You mentioned last year you did what? You said about seven? Yep. Last year we did seven. Um, we have local judging and we have national judging. Um, so it all de depends on just the quality of the application. So don't worry about financial limits or, or a certain number of grants. If we get, you know, four fantastic applications, 
that's how many grants we'll give out. If we get seven that are outstanding, we'll do that as well. So um, last a couple of years, it's always been around five to seven that really stood out from the crowd. Awesome, Ashley. Thank you so much. Good stuff. And don't don't be bashful. Apply if you're doing something good for the community to help your city town. Thank you, Ashley. Yeah, please do. Thank you so much. Great having Tom on talking about this oral health uh, solutions for veterans. And uh, we just replayed that. I think it's very important. So Tom Raffio with some good news on a Friday, President and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental, to wrap it up. Tom? Super. Thanks, Jack. Well, let me start with a follow-up. So I that show yesterday was fabulous because I generated a lot of phone calls to my office and, and veterans, uh, including Jerry, who called me. They're going to be sharing that sort of seven-bucket framework, which, in short, everybody, if uh, if you're eligible for Medicaid, you can get your veteran – your veterans can get their uh, – dental through Medicaid. If you're fully disabled, you can go to the VA. But failing that and a few other buckets, just call me directly at 223-1300. And as mentioned on the show, we've allocated $300,000, and we have a a small network of veteran dentists who are, are led by Dr. Mitch Curray. So so that's the serious, compelling stuff, which is why I'm on this planet, I think, Jack. But I also have a lot of fun. So tomorrow at 10, we have the Canterbury Shaker Village Snowshoe Race at 10 o'clock. And, Jack, you know this, but Canterbury Shaker Village is like 20 minutes from Concord, but many people in this area have never been out there. So I know, it's, it's worth beautiful, going. too, just to take a walk or a, a jog. or It's beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful, and then you can and you can go there. It'd be great if you're a member, but you can actually go there and just snowshoe and walk. But we have a race. All the funds go to the Canterbury Shaker Village. We want to, we want to keep it vibrant. And then on Sunday at nine o'clock, uh, Sunday February fourth, we have a second race in the Hoppington Winter Race Series, and that. Uh, the funds from that race go to the Allenstown uh, Daycare Center. You know, one of my big passions, in addition to oral health, is early learning. And then I have the great pleasure, uh, Coach George Pinkham is being honored at the Champions Luncheon later in the day on Sunday, uh, New Hampshire Sports Champions Luncheon, and he invited me to uh, uh, see his getting his recognition. So that's, so I have a busy weekend ahead, and the uh, for my uh, Medicaid friends, if you're in the Berlin area, um, the mobile dental clinic will be at the Androscoggin Valley Hospital, 7 Page Hill Road. So that's where the mobile dental clinic will be. Even if you see it in Concord, it's not being, uh, we're just parking it there for the moment. But the yeah. actual clinic will be um, in, in Berlin at 7 Page Hill Road. So that's my scoop. I know you got Steve. Jack, thank you again for calling uh, attention to the veterans right. plight in oral health and all and always giving me opportunities to share so thank you jack quick question tom sure when's the last time you have you ever just stayed at home on a weekend and done nothing N- no <clears throat> i honestly since i've gotten into the racing crowd you know no, I mean, about could 20 you years ago. stay at home from like you know get up at six or seven in the morning and not leave the house all weekend I I got someone suggested I should experiment with that. So I will. I tried it. It's harder than you think. I agree, and, and of course, then I get the urge. To, if, if yeah, there's no road like, race, I want to take you go out and take a two-hour walk. Got to do something. You know? Yeah, or go skiing yeah. or something. So cool. All right. All right. Thanks, Jack. See, talk to you Monday.